Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your host, Alex Ivanoff, with a special guest today, Eric Sue from Single Grain. Eric is the chairman and CEO of one of the most impressive agencies we've seen uh, in, in, the, in the corporate marketing space uh, and, and a service conglomerate of all types. So super excited to have you, Eric. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Super excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, I really want to, I have so many things to talk about because, you know, Single Grain has done so much and you guys have been around for a while. You yourself have been in the marketing world for a long time, in the podcasting world for a long time, lots of different things. Uh, so to kind of jump into it, to get into your story a little bit, you've had a few marketing roles and projects even before Single Grain. You've been around a while. What was that like before we get into Single Grain? Like, how did that all shape you and, and you know, found you to be who you are now? Yeah, I would say, I mean, um, I literally wrote a book on how I look at life as a game. So gaming really shaped into me into who I am. And so I just look at life as a game. And I think business is the ultimate game. And I, you know, I, I, when I first started learning marketing, I was working a dead end job doing data entry. And then um, my friend told me about this digital marketing thing. So I ended up becoming an intern and I kind of just uh, never looked back from there, took on a free internship and just kind of studied, uh, studied my butt off and, um, you know, ended up quickly kind of rising through the ranks. I think in like a year or two after I, I was an intern, I was like leading marketing at a startup. And then a year after that, I actually ended up um, as the as number two of this um, of, of this agency. And then I actually ended up taking over this agency, which was uh, single grain. So it, it all happened very quickly. I would just say like, you know, the whole like cliche around love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life is actually true. Um, sometimes these cliches turn out to be true because, um, you know, I guess that's what cliches are. So yeah, for sure. Do you ever have a moment where you feel, I mean, obviously you're going through moments where it's like, oh, this is work. This is kind of mentally doxing, but in the long-term scope of things, what you're saying is like, you never actually feel like you're working, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so like my, um, my podcast host, Neil, so his cousin was running this agency, um, single grain. And, um, you know, it was actually an, an, an agency, it was an SEO agency where, the work that we're doing just didn't, wasn't working anymore. And so initially I wasn't interested because I had a good job in tech and like, you know, I, I thought, um, you know, tech people typically have this air of arrogance around them. At least I'm speaking for myself. And I thought I was too good to work for an agency. Right. I was like, why would I ever want to go back to, to work for an agency again? Because it's not a scalable business. Right. Sure. Um, and I have a whole ne- bit to say about that maybe later, but, um, and, and then I kind of reframed my mindset. I was like, wait a minute. Like if, if I can help save this company, that's dying, I think I can do anything. And so um, fortunately, like, you know, six months into it, um, the, the fortunate piece is I was actually end up to take, I was able to take over the company. So um, we can talk about that in a second, but I actually made the company go from bad to worse the, the first year after taking it. And we actually dropped all the way down to one employee. And so um, a lot of lessons there, but like ultimately the thesis worked out where it's like, if we can hire the right people, if we can make, if we can turn this company around, um, then I think, you know, the, the sky's kind of the limit. So it was kind of my, my testing ground for, for business. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Cause you said you went down to one employee a year into it. How many did it have when you started or when you got, took it over? I mean, when I took it over, I think we were about like, I don't know, it had to be like, uh, it wasn't that big. It was like 15 or 16 people. Okay. Yeah. And 
so I read that you purchased single green for two dollars. Is that is that actually real? And how did that happen? How, what, what's the story there? Yeah. So what this this happened when I was I think I was around twenty six, twenty seven, and basically. Um, so Neil was a partner in the business, my podcast co-host. Um, and then there was like, it was, I, I like to say it was like one yellow person, which is me and four brown guys, right? It was all like, you know, Neil, uh, Sujin and like, you know, the, the rest of the guys, right? We're all cordial. We all, we all still talk today. I, we're all friends. In fact, like, um, you know, we, um, you know, whenever, whenever we get together, we just kind of reminisce uh, the, the old times. But basically I bought Neil shares for $1 for 10% of the company. And, um, there's another guy, um, Neil's partner. I bought, I, I paid another dollar for, for 10% as well. And then the rest was actually, um, was seller finance. So at the time I actually didn't even know what that meant. I actually just kind of created these terms, right? Where it's like, <laughs> I'll just pay through it. Um, I'll finance it through the, the profits of the company. Turns out that's called seller financing. And then right. I put in a contingency saying that if the company failed, I would owe nothing. Right. And so that was kind of my first, one of my first forays into to, to M and A. Actually, I, I remember I bought a an e commerce store when I was twenty three, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but anyway, that's how we structured a deal, and um, yeah, that's so I actually paid two dollars out of pocket, and I, I didn't really pay much um, outside of that. So, so why were they selling? And you know, what, what was it a very troubled business when you took it over? Why was this such an easy transaction for you to do? It it was, and um, I, I actually talked to to Sujin about this. The original founder, um, we were both speaking at a SaaS conference um, a couple months ago. And we're just kind of talking like, it's like, man, in hindsight, would you have done it again? I was like, hell no. Like I would not have done it again because it's way harder when you think about the math. If a stock goes down 50%, you actually have to grow up by 100%. And so you might as well just let it die and do something else and start something else. And so um, in hindsight, like, no, but I, I don't have any regrets because like we have what we have now. Um, so, yeah. And so that was what, 2014, right? That was, yeah, that was. Literally, I completed the transaction end of 2013. So when 20, 2014 hit, January of 2014 hit, um, I was 100% sole owner of the, the business. Nice. I was, a, I think, a senior in high school at the time. 2014. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was crazy to think we were almost 2023 or almost 10 years. In, uh, so I'm eight years that. older than you. That's what it seems like. Yeah. That yeah. sounds right. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. So... Eight years into it, you know, you guys have been pretty successful, or nine years into it, really. You guys have been pretty successful working with a lot of big brands. Uh, I'm sure way more of a headcount than than one <laughs> uh, now. Um, I, you know, my question here is we're working with teams, large and small companies of all different types, you know, companies that are just dominating the game versus companies that are kind of just small players. What's the, the biggest, from an e-commerce marketing standpoint, the biggest difference maker between a company that's just kind of small and playing the game versus a company that's just dominating? Yeah, I'll kind of separate it from like zero to a million or so, and then one million to 10 million, and then mm -hmm. kind of 10 million and above. Um, and so when you go from zero to one million, I actually think that that's one of the hardest parts because you have to kind of figure out product market fit. Um, and that that's typically used more for like actual like products, right? But I look at it in, in the context of service too. So that's when the market is, is pulling you, right? Um, I had actually talked to someone the other day where he does like video setups like these, like this is an okay video setup, but this guy does like really nice ones. And he like, he's just saying like, everyone's reaching out to him right now. I was like, you need to like double and triple down on this business. Right. Like, um, and so 
that's in the very beginning, you kind of just figure things out. You're figuring out what, you know, what, uh, how to make the offerings work. And then you're largely like you're, you're a jack of all trades. You're picking up the trash, you're getting on the client calls, you're getting on sales calls as well. And you're dealing with everything. Right. And it's just a lot. Um, and so then you break the first million and then, you know, getting to 10 million or so it's all about, um, you know, the, the people that you surround yourself with, it's the team. Right. And so it's a cliche thing, but you know, everyone's like, I, I realize like when I, when I do my events, um, you know, the, the, we just now, like we've all kind of grown together. Like a lot of my friends, we've, we've been to a lot of other events together and we used to talk about all the tactics, right? What tactic do you have here? What strategy do you have here? And now like all we talk about is like, man, who do you need to hire? Who do you need to hire? And like, it's, it's no longer about how do you do it? It's about who. And then when you think about going from 10 to a hundred million or so, it's just that, but you're playing at a higher level, right? You're looking to hire people that have, that have kind of been there, done that. Um, and you know, people that have kind of done the outcomes that you're, um, achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. So um, really like 10 million plus, it's just all about people. And then one to 10 million, it's about, you know, surrounding yourself with good people, but also good process. And then zero to one, you're just like throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. At least that's how it was for me. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned all this about people, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you you've posted a lot already about peer groups and masterminds and like the importance of maintaining strong relationships along the way. How have you personally done that? Maybe as you're crossing those certain thresholds of 10 million, 100 million, have you done that over the years while also meeting so many people, right? Main maintaining the quality of the relationships while so many quantity of relationships. Yeah. I, I mean, th there's that whole Dunbar's number thing where it's like, you yeah. can't really maintain past 150 and then you have like a really close circle, right? So my really close circle of friends still kind of remains the same. Like I, I talk to Neil all the time. I talk to some of my other buddies, like um, in about like two hours or so, like we're getting together with... A handful of us like one guy owns a bunch of wordpress businesses one guy owns like a pet holding company another guy runs like a big telecoms company that's a couple hundred million a year point being that we've kind of stuck together like i started doing these like small masterminds of 10 people where we go to like you know um mexico we go to like um we go to like tulum and all that and we called it the tuluminati um and <laughs> you know we we would just like mastermind together and i know we had i had to have started it like five six years ago or so and like there's like a core group and like, we, you know, we just like know, like, and trust each other. Um, so those are the guys I, I always keep in touch with. And then like, I, I remember when I was about 27 or so, I had started to do these, um, these dinners and I was, I was maybe 26 or so. I, I, it's not like I had a lot of money. Right. And, um, I'd have people come over to my house and, um, initially we started off these, these things where I like, I bring like bring in like directors of marketing and we just would mastermind, like talk about like what's working, what isn't working, what people are struggling with, put someone on the hot seat. And I remember the very first meeting, they came over to my, um, my little like two bedroom place. And, um, all I had was a half at half eaten bag of chips, right? Like that, that's, that's, that's how we worked off of it. But that just goes to show you, like when you're going to start building these mastermind type things, um, that you focus on the quality of the people and everything else will kind of take care of itself. So that's how it started out. And then, um, just over the years, like I've kind of just built my, my Rolodex that way. So I'm, I'm happy to elaborate more, but, um, that's the high level. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that I've seen a lot with, with masterminds and peer groups is if there's not that genuine connection, it almost feels like a forced manufactured type of relationship. And typically when that's the case, it doesn't really last very long or it doesn't do much for you anyways. So I've always wondered, like, you know, how do you, how do you kind of avoid that? And it sounds like what you're saying is just make sure it's a, it's a genuine thing first, rather than, rather than just doing it for the sake of doing it. <laughs> yeah. You're, I mean, you're not going to connect with everyone, right? I, I just, it's some people you just vibe with and some that you, you don't. And um, it's just very magnetic. Like one of my, my good friends, um, Syed, um, you know, 
I, I remember we we're at a mastermind together and like we had met on lo- online a long time ago, but he just walked directly at me and we just started talking. It's almost as if we we're like, we've been friends for a long time. Um, same with like, you know, Yaniv and then like, you know, Neil calls all the time too. And just like, um, we just get each other. And I, I've been in other masterminds where it's like very much focused on like, you know, how much money did I make? How much money? Like, how can you help me make money? I want to make money. Yeah. I want to make money. I want to make money. And the problem with that is you, you can smell it and it just doesn't feel good. And you're just turned off from the very beginning. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. It's just like, it's not the right, uh, it doesn't vibe with me. And so I've just learned like long-term, like what works for me is, is focusing on the long-term, right? So, which is why, like, when you look at like the conversation I'm going to have in a couple hours, we've been just working on the same thing for the, like the last 10 plus years or so. And, um, you know, early in your career, like early in my career, especially like, um, I just have a habit of like, I just want to do everything else. I wanted to do whatever is hot. And I still have a little bit of that, but like, I've learned to like dial that back a lot. And so, um, anyway, point, point with all this stuff is if you're going to join a group, make sure that they're, they're they're like-minded, make sure that the mission is kind of what you're looking towards. Like, there's a reason why I go to Ted. There's a reason why, like, I, I consider Ted like a mastermind. I consider like YPO a mastermind, EO a mastermind. Right. Um, but I don't feel like anyone's just trying to make a buck off me. I feel like people are just trying to be helpful. So sure. Yeah. The money comes afterwards. It makes mm-hmm. sense. So, you know, you guys are obviously a company that gets ahead of the curve, innovates, you know, with different styles or different things that you're doing, web three marketing, AI, you, you guys just released a blog post about different things to make sure you're on top of in 2023 from a marketing perspective. What would you say personally is the biggest opportunity that has your eye for, let's say, a seven-figure e-com store going into the year? Yeah, I would say really for anybody, the, the fact that marketing is getting harder. I mean, this, this is the thing I am excited about for, for this year. It's marketing is getting harder, right? Like the old days of just plowing money into Meta and, and Google and just raising you know a bunch of uh, VC cash and you know putting it into your DTC brand. Uh, good luck trying that today because it's just yeah. not that easy anymore. Um, and so that requires you to kind of diversify your, your marketing stack where you're building a media company because Bill Gates, I believe it was like 95 or 96 or so. He's like, every company is going to become a media company. And we're starting to see more and more of that happen. Uh, one of our clients, Axios, they're like a newsletter business. They got bought out for $553 million. And you have, um, you know, you have the hustle, you have morning brew. I mean, they're all kind of bought out in their own right. Like HubSpot bought out the hustle um, business insider bought out uh, morning brew. Right. Um, and so, this whole concept of media where like you own your email list, um, you know, you build out this podcast, YouTube channel, um, all these things like they're go- you're going where like you own the audience, but you're also going where you have strong organic reach could be on LinkedIn, could be on Twitter, could be short form video. And so I'm really excited about that. So this whole concept for us is the, like, I like doing podcasts like this. And I was very specific with you guys. I was like, Hey, like, can I, can I get the, the raw recording? Cause now I know I can chop it up and, you know, yeah. throw it out on, onto everything. So my, the, the way I do our media company is um, fo- focus, focusing the, the pillar piece, um, the foundational piece on podcasts, which are also like can be translated over to video, can be cut for short form, and then can also be repurposed into link, LinkedIn and Twitter short form. So um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about um, buying media assets too. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff come on sale in the next year or two. So um, yeah, I would say that's the opportunity for marketing um, for really any type of business this year. So how do you, how do you, let's say you're trying to build that audience, right? Instead of just obvious, I mean, not instead, right? You're, you're obviously building your audience on the social platforms. Well, I guess what you're saying is you're not technically owning that as a brand owner. 
how do you build something that you actually own? Is it through a newsletter or something more specific? You know, you can sell a product direct consumer, but how do you sell the message direct to consumer? Yeah, so I, I think it's really important to own your email list, uh, also SMS as well. Yeah. Um, to an extent, you kind of you kind of own your website, but if you know Google decides on their whim to change the algorithms up on you, then sure. you know whatever. But like my, my background's in SEO, right? So I, I I pay a lot of attention to that. Um, I actually think that's a nice nice untapped opportunity too, because a lot of people kind of you know kick SEO to the wayside. Um, so the short answer to your question is um, yes, email, yes, SMS, and then to an extent, yes, SEO too. And then you're basically leveraging wherever they're giving strong organic reach and you're, you're, you're like harvesting as much as you can. And then um, you're putting it back onto you know, the channels that you have a little more control over. Sure. Yeah. So all channels, you're, you're owning the media and the attention. Yeah. So one thing I want to talk to you about, because I know single green dabbles in this. I don't know how, how deep, but it seems like you guys are on top of it. The AI space, it's gotten so much attention in the past few months, especially it seems like ChatGPT is like, you know, this common buzzword that is literally used in every content post just to kind of get headlines. Yeah. What's your take on, on how it's affecting marketing and sales in the real world use cases? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see what happens. I mean, um, I literally just, um, to your point, I mean, le leveraging the newsjacking piece, right? Today, we released um, a, a video on my YouTube channel on uh, Bing plus uh, chat GPT, right? And so I think we're going to see a lot of forced innovation coming out of both Microsoft and Google, um, just because now they're going to be pushing the pace because Google hasn't been challenged for so long. And I think, um, I think even, you know, uh, Bing search engine integrated Dolly too. So I think we're going to see mm -hmm. a lot of creation. Like like for me, I'm not the designer, but if I can just take like an image I like and say, you know, do these couple things to it, I think we're going to see a lot more creativity come out. Um, and so I think the way that we work is going to shift quite a bit. Um, it's, it's hard to predict the future, obviously, but I just think we're going to be able to save a lot more time. And um, this means like people might lose their jobs, but they might have to reskill into another area. I personally think that if you are just a paid media manager today um you better learn to you know skill into some other areas right you better learn to be creative um learn to tell the better stories with the data um if you can learn to tell better stories too that's going to help with your creative too and then you're going to obviously have to learn um maybe not to optimize as much anymore but learn how to kind of work with the ai to um you know get the best performance yeah that's what i was going to say like if i'm a copywriter right now and you know, I'm kind of scared, uh, but I'm also thinking, all right, well, what's, what's the opportunity here? It maybe instead of selling my individual services and my individual creative, you know, nature of copywriting, maybe I'm hiring others and starting to work with the AI to sell as a copywriting company or service or agency rather than an individual and leveling up yeah. my skills to be a business owner rather than like a freelancer, you know? I mean, you're going to save so much time. We're already saving a lot of time with like the, the like chat GPT can help you save time on like comments on like organic, right? Um, mm -hmm. Literally like my assistant does that, right? Like she responds to comments using like uh, chat GPT for, and there's just way more that you can do. Like it just, I think what we're going to see a lot is it's going to force humans to ask better questions. And I've learned just by watching my own behavior and other people's behaviors using chat GPT that we don't know how to ask good questions. Um, we yeah. only know how to ask surface level questions and we kind of take things at face value. But this is going to force us to think about the second, the third order, the fourth order consequences behind every question that we ask, at least a little more. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's interesting you mentioned like how to ask questions because that's part of it too when interacting with the AI. Like if you're not good at asking the question the way you need it to be, you know, maybe a human might answer it okay. But I've noticed the first maybe two times I'm looking for something, I asked it to write a job description for me and uh, it wasn't 
necessarily what I was looking for. It was very like template. It literally looked like it grabbed it from Google, right? And I was like, all right, I need to be more fine-tuned with how I ask this question and exactly what I'm looking for and ask it in a more clear way that the AI could interpret and then spit back to me. And then it just gave me something three times better that Google would give me. And I was like, okay, now I know how to interact with a robot. <laughs> so yeah, totally the same way for me too. Like I'll, I'll ask it like a surface level thing. It's like, oh man, I got a bad answer. Not because the AI sucks. It's because my question sucks. And then it might take like another to your point, two to three times to, to refine it. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. So talking about another futuristic thing, Web3, how for Single Grain, how and why as a company did you guys go from an agency that's offering the conventional services, SEO, PPC, to an agency also offering, you know, crypto, NFT, Web3 marketing? Yeah. So one piece on the NFT marketing piece is I just wanted to, to kind of dabble in it to just see how how it how you can actually build it, right? Because I like build an NFT project, which we actually did from from scratch. And so um if you're going to do this type of stuff, then you actually have to understand the mechanics behind all of it, like the drops, the art, all that type of stuff. Right. Um, so we tested it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not something we really focus on. Um, you know, even though we rank highly for NFT marketing agency, we do. Um, I will say the main thing for us right now is still the main thing. So we focus mainly on paid media, SEO, CRO, sure. um, you know, creative type of stuff and the web three stuff. What I've noticed, at least of this, as of this recording right now is that people, a lot of these web three companies are kind of like dormant right now. They're kind of they're, the, the builders are building, right? But it's really the web two companies that are trying to integrate web three rails, though that's where the money is, right? And so you see Starbucks doing the whole like Starbucks Odyssey yes. thing, you see MasterCard doing that stuff, right? Um, and so we are, are working with larger like web three brands like ENS or like um, you know, immutable or whatever, like th these types of companies, right? Um, that are trying to build for the long term. And so that there's really not a lot of web three marketing right now. So we're doing a lot of web two marketing for them, but because we've kind of cultivated this web three angle, that's been um, easier for us to get, you know, this level of, of clientele. Yeah. What do you think is like the biggest opportunity that's being left on the table right now for the, you know, the, the standard web two companies in which they can take that next step? I think it depends on the company. Um, so this seems like a, seems like a cop out answer, but like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're like a gaming company, right. Then like, you know, how do you layer on blockchain and the, the NFT pieces, right? Like that, that's kind of obvious, like that's being, being done right now. But I, I think like the, the Starbucks stuff where like, I, I think for web two companies, Starbucks is a good example because the Odyssey thing is like, they're giving people like a bunch of NFTs, but they're not calling them NFTs. Or like yes. if you're taking the master, you're giving people NFTs, but you don't need to call it NFTs. So I think that's actually the future where we don't need to say NFTs anymore. You just like, it just becomes like a habit. It's just like, oh, like this thing's actually digital. And like, I can actually track all my 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 digital history. In, in, um, and I think that's where the value is long-term because what ends up happening is when you say web three, when you say NFT, um, you know, People in Web3 are very like, they try to act like very clicky and then same, same with the NFT world, right? But they're like, like very, really precious about it. But if you want this thing to gain kind of mass adoption, you can't be precious about that stuff, right? The internet is just the internet. And I think Web3, this NFT stuff is just the next layer of the internet. And when we stop saying this stuff, that's when we have, we've actually reached mass adoption or maybe it's died. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's so funny you say that because last week, uh, literally when we recorded, my friend Adam Andrews was on, he owns a couple board apes, a couple NFT projects. Mm -hmm. And he was saying the same thing with the Starbucks example. It's so important that Starbucks is not calling it an NFT or, or crypto project because it would not have the adoption that it has. It's really, it takes you back to like the most, one of the most fundamental things I learned in literally marketing class in college is sell the, uh, don't sell the steak, sell the sizzle, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're thinking about the, the benefits and the value rather than like what it actually 
is or it's supposed yeah. to be interpreted as. So I think, yeah, people look at, you know, like you going back to web two, if you look at <laughs> telecom companies selling fast internet, it's not, it's not the fast internet. It's what it can do for you, what it means mm -hmm. to have fast internet, you know? So totally. Cool. Um, you mentioned, you know, your core business is obviously still in the main services of PPC, SEO, CRO, creative. PVC specifically, it's always changing. <laughs> uh, we've seen a lot of changes with everything in the ecosystem going on, especially in the past couple of years. What's been for you guys, and personally the one that I guess, what has attracted you most in terms of like winning strategies for high ROI campaigns? Yeah, great question. Um, so this is what happens. Um, what happens is you, you run a business and then you hire people. And then at a certain point, you no longer do the work as much anymore. So I, it wouldn't be fair for me to answer this question. Um, <laughs> so I, don't have a, I don't have a good answer for you here. Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I actually, when I wrote that question, I was anticipating that you might not be like on, you know, as hands-on with it. So um, I could, no, I can give you the high level. I can give you the high That's level. That's fine. Answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm more interested yeah. in seeing like, what are you seeing for like e-commerce brands is like, what's, where, where's the focus going in their marketing to get higher R? Hi, yeah. I, well, I, I think um, e-commerce marketing, paid marketing, any marketing at all, I, I the, the fact that marketing is getting harder is really exciting to me because now easy mode is off. And basically what's being forced is that you have to be, you have to learn to be creative and you have to learn to tell a good story with, with data, right? So that's the analytics piece. And so if you can combine good storytelling or good creative with, um, and you, you can back it up and then figure out how you want to act around based on data that you've seen already, um, that's going to take you to the next level, right? And I think um, too many of us have gotten too complacent. Like, are we testing, you know, maybe like one creative a week? Like that's not enough. we got to test more creative. Sure. Uh, and now we have all these other tools, like that's going to help us, um, you know, um, get more creatives out faster, right? So I just think those two things are the X factor. It's it's really um, data slash analytics and it's creative at the end of the day. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that we have a fitness studio marketing agency and one of the biggest pieces that has differentiated us from our competitors is that we are testing very rapidly and thoroughly. And most people, when they approach their, their clientele in that business, they kind of set one campaign a month with a couple of pieces of creative a month. And mm -hmm. clients are like, hey, this isn't working. Like, I need to change yeah. it up quicker. Or the offer is not working or something. And we're like, hey, yeah. we change this literally seven days a week. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the key thing, right? Like, the, the whole set and forget type of marketing yeah. just won't work anymore. Like, you have to be very intentional about how you go about your marketing. Because marketing is getting people's attention. Marketing is bringing people to the, the, the point of sale. And so if you can't do a good job of that, then, like, you can't get people to click, then uh, ultimately that's on you. So, Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, you have to be the professional here. <laughs> For uh, marketing school that's been around a while, I think even longer than single grain, how did that start and how did you guys grow it? Yeah. Um, so marketing school is a daily marketing podcast I do with another marketer. Um, and basically we've been doing that one for about seven years. I've been podcasting for a little over 10 years now. Single grain's actually been around since 2009. Um, it's just that I took it over in 2014. So sure. um, that's kind of the, those are the numbers there, but marketing school, um, we get about 1.7, 1.8 million downloads a month right now. And it's a daily marketing podcast. It's about four to five minutes or so. And um, yeah, it's, I would say like how we started it. Um, initially, um, I was walking with my, so it's my partner's name on that one. He's, he's Neil Patel. And um, I mentioned him a little earlier in this podcast, but we were walking on third street in LA. This is kind of um, 
you know, Beverly Hills area. And um, I remember we were just like coming back from like getting like green juice or something. And I was just talking about how podcasting has been so beneficial to me because at that time I'd already been podcasting for three, four years. Um, this was even before Tim Ferriss started his. And, mm. and then he turns to me and I think it was just a complete misunderstanding. He turns to me and says, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, huh? And he's like, yeah, let's do the podcast. And so that's how the podcast started. And he's like, let's call it B-School. I was like, there's already a B-School because Marie Forleo has um, B-School, right? So I was like, let's call it Marketing School. So we already collaborated on a name. And then um, one thing led to another. And basically, like, within a month, I was at his place in Vegas. Um, I had brought a microphone, like a Blue Yeti. And um, we were doing it at his place. At the He was staying at the Mandarin Oriental at the time. And uh, we just started recording, like, you know, a bunch. And the first, the, the first episodes maybe for the first year so each one was like 10 minutes or so they're like double the the, the length right um <laughs> we, we were so like we got to the point where like when we we're recording we would get complaints from people like it's like oh it sounds like you guys are recording from a restroom and so what we did because the ac was on it was 115 degrees in, in vegas we'd actually turn the ac off we'd be sweating oh, our man. butts off recording this stuff and um we went like no matter if like he's sick i'm sick whatever whether he's having a kid he's married whatever like um we would just stay consistent so we've never missed the episode um for seven years and um that's how we started it we hit our email list initially that's what led to like a nice bump we, we quickly got it to like 100 200 downloads a month um and we really stopped promoting it to our email list after the first two three months or so and it just kind of continued to continue to compound because there's really nobody else using that format so if i'm trying to be practical for uh the listeners here i would say that one we did a daily show that's only five to ten minutes right and then um so we zigged where other people were zagging we didn't really do an interview format. So it was just Neil and I, you had two sure. business um, operators and marketers kind of just sharing our experiences. And then um, not saying we're, we're, we're right. We're just saying, hey, this is what worked for us. And um, then we hit our email list. And those would be the three things. And, um, you know, we've been rolling ever since. And now we have a, a lot of things planned. We want to get this thing to about 5 million downloads a month. So seven years daily podcast nobody's ever gotten sick or like death in the family nothing you guys have what's that grind been like oh we we got i mean there are times where like he's sick with like you know i i've been sick with covid like and my, my face was like half paralyzed i was still doing it i think we have some recordings where like you can tell my face was still like kind of off um <laughs> so it just doesn't matter you keep going um there'll be times where like you, you, you can see on the video he'll, he'll like mute himself he'll be coughing and all that um, like his daughter will come into like the, the shot as well. And like, you know, we'll just take it for what it is. Um, yeah, stuff will happen, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. I, you, once you have like two committed people on this, like he's pretty neurotic about how he works. Um, and like, you know, we just love what we do. That, I think that's what it is at the end of the day. And it's, it's, you want to be doing this stuff with someone that you, you enjoy being around too. Right. And so like, we have a good, um, there's a, there's good banter between us. And, um, you know, if you find, if you, if you find love, hopefully, um, you know, maybe you'll do like a partner podcast too. So sure. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, do you follow baseball at all? Uh, only, only during the playoffs. Sure. Yeah. I mean, do you know the name Cal Ripken Jr. The guy who had the, the Iron Man streak, I think it was a 2,130 games or something. I remember uh, hearing that name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bob Costas once did an interview with him and I, I had this on my like MP3 player growing up playing high school sports. So I always listened to it and he always talked about Bob Costas asked him like, it was there ever a day where you just woke up and like, I don't feel like playing baseball today. You know, like you're yeah. sore, late night flight, whatever it is, you're just yeah. exhausted. And he's like, Oh, there was a lot of those moments. Like, you know, several times a season. And, uh, 
usually I just woke up and, and told myself, all right, let me just get through the first couple hours or let me just get to the field, you know, and see how I do. And a lot of the times it just kind of went away. And, you know, a lot of times I just went out there and played my best game that day. So uh, I definitely respect I like the seven year grind daily. It's, it's kind of just like force yourself into it. I mean, so to, to your point, like I, and thank you for that. I, I like like the, the fact that, you know, people can like rah, rah morning routines and all that. Right. But for me, it's like take, taking those tiny habits in the morning. Like, can I fill out that first letter on the, on that little five minute journal? Can I do the first minute of meditation? Right. Can I step outside in the sun, go on the walk? Right. Or like, you know, um, hit the gym and train and those things like, do I not feeling, feel like doing those things like all the time? Like, yeah. Right. But like, once you do it, it's like, oh, you conquered this. And like, it's just the consistency piece. And like, you're never, I, I'm never like sad after like a workout. Like I, I never like regretted a good workout. Right. And so sure. um, you just got to stay consistent with this stuff. And there are times where like, we don't feel like doing it. Um, but like, I don't know, we've just like stuck with it. So um, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. That's the cliche. Yeah. It's an interesting segue we got here because the next thing I wanted to talk about was just management and culture. Single grain specifically, you guys emphasize this mental health day policy, which is kind of on cue with what we're just talking about. And it seems like it's shown to be very powerful. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the way we have it set up is um, every, basically, I think it's every month or every other month or so we give a day, like a random day off on like a Friday. Right. And so basically the, people get a three day weekend and that gives them space to kind of recharge and reset because I know when I like, for example, I, I spoke at a conference in Barcelona last year and I actually hopped over to Mallorca after. And so I was out for maybe two weeks or so. And when I came back, I don't know why I, I kind of do know why, but I was just super energized. Right. And that energy actually carried over for like two, three months where I was just like on it. Right. Um, but it's, it's because I had that space to slow down to then allow me to speed up. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the concept here. It's like, you know, not working yourself to the bone and, and taking those, the taking, uh, taking that space. Right. That being said, we do tell people, it's like, Hey, like if you genuinely have work that you need to get done, then like, go ahead and do it. Right. Um, because that's the way it is. Because I'll, one thing I'll say, like, there's a, this is kind of a double-edged sword. Right. Um, when I was leading marketing at this one startup, we had actually done this four day work week thing. And that actually stacked more work on me. I actually ended up working seven days a week because I needed to carry the load because I had to hit numbers or else like I would be fired, right? And so um, it's it can be a double-edged sword because sometimes like, whether it's like people don't know how to manage their time or they're just stacked and they don't know, um, you know how to speak up, like it adds up. And so, you know, I'm like, I can see the good side. I can see the bad side too. I told you kind of um, pre-show that I, I showed my friends, um, you know, kind of the schedule that we have this year that uh, my HR uh, proposed. And, you know, my friends are just like, do you guys just like not want to work? Um, like, and, and it, was, it was pretty serious. Like, um, like, can you cuss on this podcast? Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so they're just like, they're just like, they're like, dude, this is the type of shit that you need to like this is like unacceptable. Right. And so yeah. you can see both sides of the aisle. Like you have like the, the, you can call it like the more, like you can see the left and the right kind of going on here. Right. And so I kind of sit on the middle when it comes to all like this political stuff. Um, so, you know, that being said, you know, we're continuing on with the, kind of our, our mental health days. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of try to give people half days here and there just cause like we want to give people space and um, I'm well aware that it's my business. And so like, I enjoy it all the time, of course, but like, I also would get outsized returns from it. For, for some other people, like as much as I want them to think it's their business, like for some other people, like it's just, you know, their job and like their main thing is the family and as it should be, like your main thing should yeah. be your family. That's yeah, exactly. Otherwise they'd be where you are. You know, it's, it's funny. Gary V always talks about, and I always have to remind myself of this too, as a business owner, 
you can never expect your employees to care as much as you can't get angry that they don't care as much as you because it's not their business. And even if they yep. did have equal equity in their business, you should want to care more than them anyways. You know, so mm -hmm. it's just it's just by nature. It's literally how incentives work. Show um, me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning uh, earlier in the show, agencies are not scalable or very hard to scale. Uh, what what makes you so passionate about that and i agree but you know what is your insights on that yeah so i've i've changed my tune on it because i've seen my my friends over the handful of the years i mean they um you know one guy um you know they sold the agency for like you know one guy for 80 million dollars another guy for a couple hundred million dollars or like you know one guy had like a 500 million dollar valuation and sold like a chunk of it um and so agencies are great cash flow machines and they are they allow you to they enable you to do things that you want to do so for example like i might get good uh deal flow when it comes to tech investing right just because you know i have an audience when it comes to marketing school or the leveling up podcast or you know the events that i do and so things happen to kind of come come in front of me and so that's how I'm able to, to invest in cool things. And so, you know, you could, you could make an argument that, oh, the agency's cash flows allow you to maybe invest in other things that might be like bigger moonshots. You can say that, or you can continue to build the agency um, and you can build a holding company that goes out there and buys other agencies. That's another model too. Um, or you can just take the cash flows and just go have a nice life. Right. And so um, I think it's really like, you know, a lot of the glory goes to these companies that are featured on TechCrunch, like OpenAI, they raise a billion from you know Microsoft. They're doing ChatGPT, like that's really cool stuff, and they're solving a really big problem. But I think virtually for anybody starting, like if I were to go back in time, I would ditch college and at age eighteen, I would start an agency or start learning as much marketing as I can because there's not a lot of capex that's that's tied to it. And then from there, I can decide if I want to work on the next big thing or not. Um, but I, I largely looked down on agencies in the beginning just because I had worked in the agencies. And I was like, that's not scalable, right? And, yeah. when I to tech. and now I come back to it. I'm like, you know, Neil, Neil's built his agency to, um, you know, nine figures and he's bootstrapped it in like four or five years. And um, I've, I've just seen a lot of other people do the same thing. And like, it's, 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 it's a similar path for, for me too. So um, I think it's a great business. And um, as long as you build a, a great team, a great culture around it, um, you know, it can be really rewarding. So it's, it's really like you get what you focus on. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a good manager, there's always a demand. Uh, one of the things I remember Neil talking about 20, 16 2017 when i first got into agency space he was like there's a gazillion job posts looking for marketing people just contact them and say hey hire my company for cheaper and i'll do better yeah, <laughs> uh 100%. you know there's always demand so if you can if you if you're a good manager you can scale it how does here's how i started out like it's um sorry to interrupt like it's, no, when i was like 24 25 i was bear in mind like i'm still working full time at a company but i literally just logged on like Upwork and nowadays you can use sites like like Marketer Hire. Um, back then Upwork was called Elance, but I was I was working for this guy doing SEO consulting on a site. He was, pay, he was paying me twenty five dollars an hour, and then um, you know the the work was was good enough where he, like he offered me like 250, 300K or so. And at age 25, that was like, that's a lot of money for a salary, sure. right? And, and like 5% profit share. And then at that point I was like, oh, I'm actually doing good work. And so then I had started to reach out to people on, I started writing answers on Quora and then started reaching out to people making like 20 minute videos a day. And I'd have to upload it myself because it wasn't like a tool like Loom. And I'd wait for the upload to finish. I'd send like 20 of these out a day. And eventually I got a guy that was paying me 30 grand a month doing SEO consulting, right? And so but that's, that's like 360 grand a year. And just, that's just like one consulting client. So my point of saying all this is that 
even if you're doing consulting, I have a friend right now that's making a million dollars a year just doing consulting, right? And mm -hmm. on a handful of clients. And so um, the sky is the limit here. And again, there's not a lot of CapEx. Um, if you're going to do consulting, just bear in mind, you're going to be doing the work. But then if you want to build out a team and not do the work anymore, you can certainly do that. So you have a lot of options. And again, you're not putting up a lot of money. So it's great. This is kind of off the cuff, but do you think that's a factor of a lack of education in, in the digital ecosystem and skill sets out there? Like people are willing to pay so much because they didn't learn this in school. Yeah. I mean, but that's like everything, right? Everything in life is arbitrage. Like you pay for this microphone over here because you don't know how to build one. Um, you, you know, the, the chair that you have, the gaming chair that you have, right? Kind of the, the same deal. So everything in life is kind of information asymmetry and um, you're just, you're, you're collecting the margin there. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Back to scaling, your team's fully remote, correct? Yeah, we are. We're remote first. Um, yeah, I guess short answer to your question would be yes. <laughs> <laughs> how does how does the team stay connected? Um, well, how, actually, let me back up. Has it always been that way? No. So we had um, we had this um, this office in downtown LA in the the Aon building. It's one of the key. You can see it's, it's, it's been there for, for a while. Um, and like, it was great. I mean, we had a great office culture. Um, there's just a lot of things that we did. We go to lunch all the time. Um, it was just like, it was good. You felt like you were part of like a, there's camaraderie. Right. Sure. Um, and I, I do really miss that. And so, um, you know, that's not to say like, once I move back to LA, like we might not do like another office or something like that. Um, but like I've, I'll, I'll be honest, like when I worked in tech, like we were like 60 to 70% of the team was remote and I was remote. The team was in like Orlando and, and Portland, Oregon, and um, it worked out for us. And so now it's just a matter of um, for us in, in order to stay connected, it's about meeting at least twice a year, um, getting people together. I mean, you know, I have, um, you know, Zapier does this, right, um, where they meet twice mm -hmm. a year. And then um, maybe with the leadership team, you're meeting like, you know, quarterly or so, and you're just kind of building that cadence because um, I have a friend, he did a study. Um, he kind of, he had like a, something like a Y Combinator, but for, uh, for Europe, right. It was called entrepreneurs first. And what they would do pre prior to the pandemic pandemic, they would help you. Um, they would train you on how to build a startup and then they would pair you with the co-founder and it was like a 90 day boot camp, right? So you got three months. Um, now when the pandemic hit, the in-person touch point, like touch points, they were, they were no longer there. And what they figured out after the pandemic, after we started coming out of it, I mean, we're, you know, we're, there's still a pandemic, right? But um, what happened was they realized, you know, the, the key, there's a sweet spot for like fostering human connection is at least, you know, about 11 to 14 days, spending 11 to 14 days a year together. And so mm -hmm. um, take that for what it is, but I find that to generally be true because at that point you've established a relationship and it's not as transactional as like a fully remote, like never meet type of thing. So Sure. Now it doesn't need to all be at one time, right? It could be a couple of days a month or something. Yeah. A couple of days. Yeah. A couple of days a month. So you might do like, um, you know, three days a month or three days. A, it could be three days a quarter or something like that. Yeah. Or if you're going to do an annual thing, you get everyone together. I mean, it's maybe for three to four days. Yeah. Interesting. And between those, like when you're fully remote, what do you guys have adopted, have adopted in your communication systems? Or is there anything that you guys have done to kind of streamline communication or project management? Obviously from a creative standpoint, it's very hard. It's hard. I mean, like, to your point, you can't really schedule creativity. It's not like the office where it's like, Hey, let's just meet this getting here. Let's start to whiteboard this stuff out. Right. Like that I really miss. And, um, that's why like, it's, I don't, that part's just hard. Um, and yeah. so we do have like our, our kind of weekly all hands that there's that piece. Um, you know, I, I was prior to that, I was kind of writing like a weekly newsletter to kind of keep everyone abreast on, on my thoughts. 
Um, but that's kind of the main thing. And then we have Donut in Slack, which basically will like kind of round robin, sure. um, you know, random meetings. Like I'll have like 15 minute meetings with people. Um, and then people have like their traction meetings, right? So where they kind of talk about issues and things like that. So um, that's the high level. Yeah, we, we've looked at Donut too. I might, might implement that. We've had also like random trivia or games pop up in Slack with just bots. And it's, it's a good way to just make it human and make it fun, make it more fun. Totally. For for the whole business, for, for single grain and everything that you're working on, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing and how are you tackling it? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's um, the market that we're going into. You know, I I hope there's no recession this year, but I believe if we're not already in a recession, that that one is going to happen. I mean, you know, as of this, as of today, I think Amazon just cut 18,000 people and I think I they're going to cut a lot more. I mean, yeah. they grew from 800,000 employees prior to the pandemic to about 1.6 million. I think they're going to cut it down to like 1.3, 1.2, something like that. Um, and so if you see like tech is kind of like a leading indicator, if they're starting to cut so much, um, I think we're going to see it like a, a lot across the board. So um, I think it's just kind of, you know, preparing, um, you know, holding on to building as much of a buffer as you can and, you know, keeping your staff um, kind of, um, you know, motivated, right? Because I don't care how big someone's agency is right now or how, how big someone's business is. Like almost everyone I know is kind of like struggling and, and, and cutting back right now, right? So um, I think it's being cautiously optimistic, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, and then just continue to do what what we do, right? So like, um, you know, doing good work and then continue to produce content and then just staying consistent because we come out of this stuff like, uh, you know, recession, like might last a year, might last two years or so. Um, but I would say, you know, for for us, I mean, it's, it's just like, what's the first thing that gets cut? Like marketing budgets get cut, right? And so it's, the good news is, um, this is why you have to build a media company. And I'm kind of going a little bit on a tangent here, but no, if you build good. a media company, you are going to be able to have more options available to you. So whether it's like you build a media, like your, your podcast right now, let's say, say it becomes significantly um, larger, right? Then um, you might run ads on it. Okay. That, that's one thing. Or like you, you're driving a lot of leads for your agency, but maybe like you can't take on 70 to 80% of your leads. Maybe you can do like a matchmaker model and take 20 to 30% uh, uh, like a referral commission for the lifetime of the customer. You can certainly do that. So you get a lot more options when you build media around you. And I'd argue that that asset is probably more valuable than like um, in many cases, the business itself, because media, if you look at a Mr. Beast provides you a lot, he's building multiple businesses, or businesses yeah, around it quickly right? too. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah. No, that's good advice. I think th there's a cliche, you know, not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's also who knows you. You know, it's 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 a matter of media and brand and awareness. Um, it's also interesting. You mentioned like everyone's super conscious. One thing I've seen is just being more. You know, after we're on the tail end of a 13 year bull run where markets were just so hot, everyone seems to have spent so much money. They're overstaffed, and that's kind of what kept the economy going. Now everyone's starting to have a conversation, and we have too. Like. How can we keep doing what we're doing as good, but more cost effective and quicker, you know, because it, the speed kills profits, you know, all these things like are super important to start to become conscious of. So, yeah, I mean, discipline is coming back. I think, um, you know, yeah. a, a year or two ago, everyone was looking for these um, these really high salaries, like outrageous asks. And then, like, I've never seen this in my, my career before, but like in, on multiple occasions, we'd make offers to people. I, I just hear from HR and they'd be like, oh, nope, they found something else. Oh, nope, they found something else. Right. And now it's like we're, we're coming back to earth. It's like, no, like this is what hard work looks like. This is what good work looks like. And you actually have to earn your keep. And it seems like it's such a like foreign concept to people. But um, this is what life is. Yeah. 
no, it, you know, we're young. We haven't really gone through this before. So it's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's interesting to go through the cycle. So Eric, thank you. Thank you so much for everything. As we begin to wrap up, one of the questions that signature questions that we like to ask all of our guests at the end here is if you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning to help guide you, you know, uh, help you out, give you advice throughout your day, who would be in that room? Uh, they could be alive or dead. Yeah, so I actually, you, you can't see it here, but um, over here is a statue of Warren Buffett, and then there's another statue of uh, Charlie Munger. So those two guys for sure, um, the, the grandpas. Um, I would have Bill Gates, love him or hate him. Um, I would have, um, trying to figure out, so those three for sure. And then I actually do kind of have like an informal board of, um, you know, agency directors where, um, you know, one guy has like built one to like a couple hundred million dollars. One guy bought like 40 agencies and took it public. And then, um, you know, obviously there's, there's Neil who kind of bootstrapped it, right? They all have like different angles there. So that's like a separate thing. I would you know, do that just for business. Um, but I would say those three people and, um, I think uh, to an extent, Elon as well, like people think he might be like a whack job, but I think he's been a net positive and Jeff Bezos. So I'm basically picking like the people that have built the biggest businesses and have been, mm -hmm. around, been around for the longest and, and they focus. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm just to like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like which, which women would be in there, but um, none come to mind right now. So I'm not saying I have anything against women, but it's, those are the first immediate ones I have that come, that come to first mind. woman that always comes to mind for me is Adele. She's just, her, not only her talent, but her story is just incredible, you know? Um, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, as you say that, I'm like, okay, I, I guess Oprah, like her, her upbringing, yeah, right? She, like, yeah. you know, yep. what she's powered through. So like anyone that's gone through like a ton of struggle and like has achieved amazing success and just continues to get hate from people, like those people, like I respect, so. Yeah. Happy birthday to Charlie Munger, by the way. I think he just turned 99, 99. the other day. Yeah. yeah. Pretty impressive. Guy's still going. Um. It's also funny. I, I love that you describe Elon that way because I've I've loved the guy for years, and then you know lately I'm just like, what is what is going on here? What is he doing? But at the grand scope of things, it's like, all right, yeah, he's definitely a net positive for the world, you yeah. know. So, yeah, still a net positive. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Eric, where can our followers, you know, follow you, get in touch with you, you know, keep up to date with what you're doing? Yeah, I would say right now I'm putting more effort into my my YouTube channel. So I'm leveling up on YouTube, and then there's a leveling up podcast, and um, there's a marketing school podcast too. So um, you know, consume more content with us. So. Awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll link those those podcasts down below. We'll link your Twitter and LinkedIn as well for people to follow you. But again, thank you so much, Eric. It's been a a blessing to have someone like you, and so many awesome answers to these questions. A lot of cool insights from from someone of your caliber. So thank you again, uh, and for those listening, check us out on GoRocketCard.com for this episode and uh, all of our socials and the rest of our episodes for this podcast. And we'll see you next time.